You got me, partner. <laughs> oh, my God. What was that? I liked I gotta, it. I need I to lie it. down That's after good. that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Gemcast on Hologram Radio. This is Alex Knight, and I'm joined by Aline Sims, founder of the Less Than or Equal podcast, and science fiction writer Kay Tempest Bradford. In Season 2, Episode 11, The Jazz Player, legendary trumpet player Taps Tucker is humiliated on the Lindsay Pierce show when the Misfits crash his interview and harass him. Outraged, Gem and the Holograms visit Taps and offer to help him put his famous Taps Tucker band back together. Stay tuned for an action-packed episode. Alright, once again, we are back with episode 37, written by Michael Reeves. We open this week with legendary trumpet player Taps Tucker being interviewed on The Lindsay Show. The holograms are huddled around the TV watching the interview. As Lindsay reminisces about listening to Tucker's album, Night Train, which belonged to her grandfather, Kimber isn't sure why Lindsay is spending so much time interviewing Tucker. After all, who cares about a jazz band from the 40s, right? Get off my lawn, Kimber. Just get off it right now. Yeah. Jerrica informs Kimber that the Taps Tucker Band was one of the great jazz quartets of that era. (laughs) I like Aja's comment here where she says, you know, Kimber, if it doesn't happen last week, she's not interested. And that's kind of true, isn't it? Aja's mean. I kind of feel like this whole characterization line they have for Kimber, that she doesn't care about old things... And she she doesn't know what happened in Music Pass last week. It doesn't actually seem to sync up with the fact that Kimber's a musician. Like, and and she's a musician who was taught musicianishness by her father, who clearly must have been a person who kept records around the house and was always being like, Kimber, come over here and listen to this great guitarist. Kimber, come over here and listen to this legendary jazz band from the 40s. Like, I just <sighs> I I get that they're like, oh, Kimber's the young one. She doesn't care. But like this weird line of characterization they have for her, it just doesn't work for me most of the time. Well, that's kind of, isn't that always the attitude of a young generation, particularly maybe teenagers who are not necessarily open-minded in the way their kind of, their viewpoint for looking at at old music is that it's old. So why why should I care about it? But I, I get what you're saying. I mean, I mean, is it... Is what you're saying that because she has this music background, because she grew up in a family of musicians and has presumably like had some some kind of background in different styles of music, at least, that she would be maybe more open minded and less judgmental? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Yeah, I, I buy that. I agree. This characterization just seems a little far fetched. And I also think that the the characterization that we have of teenagers and that they don't care about things and they know it all and blah, blah, blah. Like, I think all of that is inaccurate. I mean, sure, it applies to some, but I I think that it's just an unfair rap. It's just that us old people 
don't care about the same things that teenagers care about. And therefore, uh, we tend to be dismissive of their new progressive points of view. Yep. Well, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because uh, I, I know for a fact, I mean, a lot of teenagers are dismissive about certain types of music. I mean, sure, not even just teenagers, right. but like, I mean, I mean, when I was in high school, I listened to a lot of 80s rock and metal from that particular point in time. And a lot of my friends at that time, like this is in maybe the mid 90s. Were listening to grunge rock, or they were listening to rap or modern modern metal, and they made fun of me. Like, why are you listening to eighties music? Oh my god! I just sometimes the fact that you're so much younger than me just smacks me in the face. <laughs> oh, put, just, I'm not that much younger than you. I think you got like four or five years on me, but uh, I I appreciate you continuing to think that, but. Um, <laughs> I will not disabuse you of that impression. Right. But, okay, your average teenager, maybe. But a musician teenager, I still don't buy it. I mean, this actually reminds me kind of of Axl Rose. And and yes, this is relevant, I swear. But Axl Rose is not a guy that you'd be like, he is very much into the, the classical musics and he appreciates the work of Billy Joel or whatever, but Axel really did appreciate a lot of the sort of like piano man, singer songwriters because he wanted to, uh, well, he was, you know, if you really think about it, a great lyricist. He um, was a piano player who like sat down and just like worked out a lot of really complex stuff. Now you listen to Guns N' Roses and you can tell that there's a lot of complex stuff going on in terms of like what's going on with the guitar and the drums and whatever, but it's not until you get to like, what is the one? It's not Appetite for Destruction. That's the first one. Whatever. you Use your illusion. It's not until you get to use your illusion that you can really, you really get to what Axel, the, the heart of Axel Rose, I guess you could say, with November Rain and other sort of associated songs. But, but so our assumption about Axel Rose uh, could probably be that, that he would have no time for the likes of, say, Billy Joel and Elton John. But Axel was like over the moon to collaborate with Elton John and to have Elton John play the piano on November Rain and things of this nature. So, like I said, if you're a musician, it changes the whole, you know, teenager dynamic because... Your perspective. Yeah. At the very because least. Because you're, you're a musician. You are building on what you have heard in your yeah, life and absolutely. and what you're going for in your goals. Well, I mean, I, I certainly didn't come from a musical family, uh, you know, and I definitely was the first one to pick up an instrument, but my, my dad was always interested in music. And even I can remember as far as back as, you know, when I was little, he always played music in the house and, you know, always exposed me to, uh, to rock and, and blues and from all sorts of areas, eras from the, the sixties, seventies and eighties and that type of stuff. So once I started learning how to play an instrument, I certainly had at the very least, uh, a respect for other genres of, of music, uh, from, from not necessarily my time period. So I totally agree with what you're saying there. The Misfits are the next guest due after Taps Tucker is to play a song, but Tucker begins playing and he's cut off when the Misfits crash his session and tell him that no one wants to listen to boring old stuff. 
quote unquote. And we get why? a music. I just want to know why Lindsay didn't anticipate this. Yeah. Uh... I, I I agree. And actually, just hold on to that thought for a moment, because we get a Misfits music video called Jack Take a Hike. What do you, uh, what do you think of the song and the video? Well, this is our second time with the song, right? Yes, I believe so. I know I've heard the song before. Yes, yes, we have. And I didn't like it the first time. Yeah, I wasn't Especially a big fan. Right, it's one of those Misfit songs that, as Aline has pointed out many times, it's just like repeating the same thing over and over and over again and not really doing anything interesting with it as it repeats the same thing over and over and over again. Although this time it was not about terrorizing Jim and the Holograms as much as terrorizing a poor trumpet player. So that was new. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, um, the music video was kind of funny though, uh, just with like pizzazz and everything, like kind of like zapping taps and stuff like that, and just going after him and stuff, just basically creating a complete nightmarish world for him. Yeah, it's just it's. Which I guess is what happening in her, in her mind. In her mind, but mostly I'm just like Lindsay. I know you. That's so bad. You- why are you inviting the Misfits back, number one? Yeah. After the last time they showed up at your show, not only did they destroy everything, but Pizzazz slapped you in the face. So yeah. there's that. This is what I don't also- understand because she she even says, like after this video, she tells Pizzazz that she only agreed to have them on the show as long as she promised not to pull any stunts. And like I'm watching this and I'm thinking, isn't it obvious that the Misfits at this point can't be trusted? I mean, right. hasn't Lindsay learned her lesson? Right. I mean, you would think that it, this is just silly. And also, don't put the Misfits on the same night as some serious musician. Like, just, don't do it. Yeah, that was just a bad, bad call. Yeah, and but yeah. on the other, on the flip side, I still don't understand why the Misfits are antagonizing Lindsay because isn't it true that basically her rock video show? is very important and influential. And if they're not on it, that's bad for them. I mean, I, I understand that Pizzazz doesn't have a lot of self-control or, or thinking ahead of that kind of thing, but has no one impressed upon them that maybe they shouldn't ruin everything all the time? No. That literally has never been impressed upon them. Like it. Yeah, I mean, having the Misfits on, at, you know, at the same time as this this jazz player from the forties. I mean, definitely a recipe for disaster, but it, it must've been good for the show's ratings though. Like this must be a, a well-watched show at, at the very least. You can, you, you can, you can't say that the show is boring ever. It's like watching, uh, that's true. It's like watching a, like a daytime trashy talk show. It's interesting though, because Pizzazz actually tells Lindsay, uh, you know, we're we're doing you a favor. The kids want to hear a real now group like the Misfits. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, real I, now. On on some level, I guess she's probably right. But again, I'm like, what is this gaining you? Right. Pizzazz, her her, her methods are do, questionable. All it's gonna do is make Lindsay frown frown upon you. She will frown upon you. What do you? I, I, this is not something we we've really discussed on the show but do you two have any 
ideas about what Misfits fans think and how they feel about their band when they see them on TV conducting themselves in, in this way. Like, what do you think fans think of when, when they see this? Do you think it gets old real fast? Do you think they lose a lot of fans when they behave this way? Well, I mean, think about some public figures and musicians who have done like some pretty awful things. Like Chris Brown has done some pretty awful things. And I don't know. I still hear about him every once in a while. I don't, I don't follow him or anything, but you know, like people are very, very forgiving of their celebrities. This is very true. Not only that, but it just seems to me that the Misfits audience has to be people who feel like they're against the man and they're against the rules, society and its rules and my parents and their rules, rules. And so, (laughs) um, you know, maybe looking at the Misfits on television, kicking things over and beating up old black men and, and whatever it is, they're just like, yeah, that's the Misfits keeping it real and not bending to society and its rules. And they're not going to take it from the man and whatever it is like it. I, that's how I envision a lot of misfits fans. I, I agree. But to me, I feel like once the misfits reached some level of popularity in the mainstream, that maybe a lot of fans would have thought that they had sold out as so often happens in the real world where your favorite sort of indie indie band gets onto a big record label and maybe now is on MTV and on the radio and suddenly they feel mainstream, even though their music hasn't degraded in quality, but to a lot of people, it, it, the fact that they, they are now so popular, it does feel like they've quote unquote sold out, whatever that means, right? Right, but but then that's why the misfits behaving badly on television is good for that that particular audience because right. they're like, yeah, they haven't really sold out. They, they haven't lost be, it. They're still right. They might be at the top of the charts, but sure. they're still going to go on Lindsay's show and beat up some old people. So yeah, the man misfits fans are the worst. Yeah, maybe the but they're f- just, maybe the fans are just bad. Maybe they they're teenagers going through that awkward phase when they're mad at everybody. Right, they'll grow out of it. Hopefully. You know, I never ass. thought that the misfits would prey upon an, an, a clearly frail old man, but wow, I guess I should not have put it past them to do something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's see. Uh, let's move on and, and see what exactly happens to Taps Tucker. After watching the events of the Lindsay show unfold, Aja remarks that it would be great if the Tucker Quartet got back together again. Jerrica agrees that it's a wonderful idea and says the holograms are going to make that happen. Um, so at this point in the episode, and I, I don't watch this episode very much because it's not one of my favorites, and I had forgotten what all the plot was. But at this point when I was watching it, I was like, oh... Jerrica is finally going to act like the CEO of a record company. Yes. She's going to call up some people and be like, we're cutting a record with the Tabstucker band. This is going to be great. And I was like, you go, Jerrica. 
you go. That that was those are my exact thoughts right at this moment in the episode. Yeah, it's nice to see and like know that she has connections. I right. know a guy. Cool. I'm sure she will enlist the entire Starlight Music staff of three people. Right. Oh, if only she had done that. If only. <laughs> At O'Hare Airport, the holograms land in their private jet. Shayna mentions that jazz is undergoing a big revival and that it's only fitting that the Taps Tucker band be part of it. The holograms set off to find Taps Tucker. And arriving at a rundown hotel, the holograms find Taps. It appears that Tucker has lost touch with the rest of his bandmates and he's not sure where they are. And by the way, as an aside, I like how they don't mention that like maybe these guys are dead because they're really old. Oh my God, Alex. They're not allowed to be dead. But I know. Of course. My whole thing is, well, first of all, once again, we're going to have throughout this episode this ridiculousness of them flying to all these places. And it's like, how long did you came from California to Chicago? You just hopped on a private plane and jet. did that, huh? Mm-hmm. Private right? jet. Like, even with the private jet, I'm like, no, 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 no. This doesn't work this way. Um, but, but It is free also, TSA, though. It is, but just... <laughs> yeah, I know. They come to this neighborhood and they're like, ugh, this neighborhood? I wouldn't expect to have soccer be living in this neighborhood. Why? Right. Why wouldn't you expect that? You're musicians. You know that there's no money. Because uh, if there was money, you wouldn't need to have fake gem running around uh, in order to get money for Starlight House. Uh, and these dudes have not recorded an album in how many decades? And yeah, you're no like, kidding. oh, I'm surprised that he's living like... And, and the fact that they have Rhea say it. I'm like, I feel like Rhea is... Rhea and Shayna would be the only two who'd be like, yep, this makes sense. Gemma's optimistic that she can help locate the rest of the quartet and mentions that she has a friend that owns a jazz recording label. Gem says her record label friend is likely going to be enthusiastic about having the famous Taps Tucker band record a new album, and Tucker agrees to go along with it. Now we cut to Eric Raymond, who is in a meeting with Jim's uh, record label friend, Mark Rockwell. By the way, is this the first time we're seeing Mark Rockwell? I don't recall that yes. we've seen this guy before. Yeah, I don't either. We've, so this is an introduction. This is the first time seeing him and him will we'll never see him again. But before we get to Mark Rockwell... Because they, they burn the record label down. Right. But can I just ask, why can't Starlight Music cut this record? I mean, I yes, understand that, is that a it's great a jazz question. album and he's a jazz label, but like, why can't they just cut this album? Does, well, that raises the question, does Starlight Music only support rock pop bands? Is yes, that maybe it? Maybe it's maybe the jazz thing is not a fit for their audience. But, but so they're a freaking music they're label. Ju- they right. have yeah. one act. They clearly well, can do what they want. Point. That is a good point. I mean, because the way that this show portrays the holograms as being this like massively, like not just in North America, but a worldwide like known sensation. So it just seems like like Gem and the Holograms could literally collaborate with any band and they would sell something. Right? Right, right. So that's why I'm just like, why do we need to call Mark Rockwell... It's the odd. jazz dude. 
it's just it's only just to create the plot. Like this is right. literally what's happening is we're well, creating the plot with this nonsense. Well, I think this actually conflicts with what we've actually seen in the past and what Starlight Music has supported because, and I don't remember the name of the episode. Maybe the two of you can help me. But what was that episode where they did that that huge collaboration act with like fake Mick Jagger and, and fake Tina Turner? The Jam Jam. Yeah, yeah, right. And didn't Starlight Music actually back that whole thing? So why are like why do they need this jazz record label all of a sudden it's all i don't know I, I thought that that she was gonna say i can like something to the effect of we can do something on the starlight records jazz imprint and that'll be amazing and you know yeah also confused i guess is what i'm saying well, Eric Raymond and Mark Rockwell are discussing the deals about putting together a jazz album portfolio when suddenly the phone rings. Mark picks up the phone and listens to Jem's proposal after putting her on hold. He tells Eric he's had another offer by her to put together the Taps Tucker Band. Rockwell doesn't have the budget for both Jem and Eric's album offer. So Eric retaliates by telling Rockwell that he has other offers and doesn't need him. Besides, should Rockwell really take the risk on a band that hasn't played together in 40 years? I can mm-hmm. kind of see some truth to that. No, except for this is a jazz label. Right. Their only purpose is to, to record people who are playing jazz. And even in the 80s, that meant people from the 40s. So, like, that's their only purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and also, as Eric is making this point about how, like, oh, but there has been whatever, but Eric's entire collection of jazz that he's bringing to this guy also must be made up of has It's got to be. Yeah, I've wondered. It's odd. Because he, he basically, it, they don't really go into it in this episode, but sometimes Gem of the Holograms will, like, sneak in, like, real-world music problems, and one of the real-world music problems is some rich person or, you know, some person with some kind of funding comes along and buys up the old catalog, and because the band had a really crappy contract or their manager was terrible or the record company was terrible... These people end up owning all these other people's music and the original musicians don't get any money. And that seems to be what Eric has done. So all that music he has has to be old. So that doesn't make any sense. And also, what is up with this dude? This just jazz label doesn't have enough money to cut two albums. That's sad. That's really sad. Like, why is Jerrica even messing with this dude? I don't even understand why Eric is messing with this dude because why can't they, why can't he do his shady jazz whatever on Misfits music? Like, there are two people who have record companies fighting over a record company that only has the budget to do one album this year. Like like you often say, Tempest, it's just one of those things because reasons for the plot, right? It's just, it's just Wait, nonsensical. It, when you actually break it down and think about it, this doesn't make any sense. Like, just from the beginning, like you're saying, like, why even deal with this record label that can't afford two album deals? Are you... Are you freaking kidding me? Yep. Like, I just, yep. Ugh. I'm making such a face right now at these people. Yeah. Well, Rockwell decides to give Eric Raymond 24 hours to think it over. And 
Rockwell speaks with Jem and asks her to get the Taps Tucker band together within 24 hours. Otherwise, he'll have to default and side with Eric Raymond's deal. Why is this show is addicted to fake deadlines? Mm-hmm. It is well, just like, how else are you going to c- create tension without making fake deadlines? I guess so. I mean, I just have to wonder if that was in the book. They're like, yeah. create a fake deadline. And then <laughs> well, you got 20 minutes to do this episode. But hold on. I mean, maybe we can explore that, explore that. I mean, do either of you have any ideas about like, how would you actually make this this episode better? Given the 20 minute, you know, uh, restriction that you have to work with. Well, there are like a million ways you could like make it make it a two-parter maybe or no not even that but but there has to be some kind of constraint whether it's a time constraint or something else like sure you can keep the 20 minute time constraint and still still create tension in a way mm -hmm. that I mean, it's it's easy, right? That's why they do it, because it's just easy to be like, oh, here's this thing, and this is for, like, four- to six-year-olds, and they're not going to care if it makes yeah. sense or not or is repetitive. Right. And it's easy to have that just like, oh, well, what could happen? Oh, oh, they'll only have 24 hours. That'll do it. Right. right. I mean, basically, with this episode, the entire episode hinges on this ridiculous deadline and and problem that is created by the fact that this record label can only do one album or whatever. All unrealistic things. Like, everything in the, like, you know, crisis conflict aspect of this episode is predicated on something that's dumb and unrealistic. (laughs) So there's really not a way to Mm. fix, like, this plot. Well, um... It could be a different plot, but right. I don't know if there's a way to fix this plot. Yeah, I, I actually, I see where you're going with that. I, I agree. They would have to, they would have to change it. Like for me, what I, what I would probably do is get rid of, like, for, first of all, Mark Rockwell owns this rec, or at least runs this record label, and. What troubles me is that this man cannot even make a clear-cut executive decision. He's just so wishy-washy, like, hmm, should I go with this one? Or, like, he should have just said, the chances of success as far as sales are concerned on an album, on this, the maybe just the pure nostalgia factor of bringing back this, you know, incredibly popular jazz band from the 40s that already has a proven track record. Bringing these guys back out of retirement to make new material is probably going to gauge, like generate enough interest from from old fans that he should have just given it to Jem and the holograms. And then what they could have done, just get rid of all this other BS stuff that they included in the plot. And like the misfits could have just tried to sabotage them making this album in the first place. They could have still done the same thing, like steal the instruments, and it it virtually would have been the exact same thing. It would have worked. It just wouldn't have been so far-fetched. Yeah, I, I don't know. Elsewhere, Eric Raymond tells Pizzazz the truth about how he really needs this record deal to go through. And Rockwell is the only one who can make it happen. Eric doesn't care what the misfits have to do, but they have to ensure that Taps Tucker's ban doesn't show up on time. 
Pizzazz hesitates and questions what's in it for the misfits. With only a portion of the profits from the jazz deal with Rockwell, Eric can give the next Misfits album an unbelievable publicity blitz. Eric promises to plaster Pizzazz's picture all over the countryside, which I think is a very bold claim. And once again, one of those things where just Eric is just over-promising and he's not going to be able to deliver on that. But anyway... Well, (laughs) there's that, but I also think he's lying. Because... Why does he need money from the sale of this jazz collection of things in order to do Misfits publicity? If they need money, then number one, they can just ask Pizzazz's dad. I think that this, that Eric personally needs this money and he's just lying. He's he's gambled all of his own personal fortune away. As we've seen, he's the Fredo of the crime family. He doesn't even know how to intimidate people properly like you know his father like yeah. took him along to intimidation yeah. sessions and he's like i could do that and this yeah. he tried to intimidate rockwell and rockwell was like well yeah 24 hours you know so, uh, I, I, i'm just gonna say eric if you just hadn't decided to invest in that kenny rogers roasters you would still oh have God. money <laughs> pizzazz bites and accepts the deal Unsure of how to prevent Tucker from playing, Pizzazz mentions that his horn is the only way he can play, which alludes to the obvious, take away his instrument and there is no performance. What did you think about that? The fact that he says he can only play this one instrument. Like, what does he mean by that? Like, physically incapable of playing any other instrument? Or Every instrument's different. I mean... I yeah, I mean everyone is different. The mouthpiece is different. If it's a woodwind, the reeds and the different reeds will feel different. It's I mean, I can totally understand that. Um like you form a relationship. It's interesting cuz Humans of New York, I don't know if you follow them on like Facebook or Instagram, recently had a picture of a French horn player who was like, "I've had this new French horn for 7 months and it's just not the same." So that's really coloring what I'm saying. Sure. But like it, it's different, and I think that you f- you have an affection for sure. things. Like I can have two identical T-shirts, but maybe one has more memories associated with it, you know. And I, I like it better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think from the the technical side of things, I mean, sure. Like each instrument, even the same exact make and model. I know at least with guitars, like every fretboard is going to be the same. There are going to be nuances in the tone. The wood is not exactly the same, right? Because they came from two different trees, even though they're this exact same, you know, wood. I mean, I could have a guitar with a maple fretboard, and yeah, maple wood is maple wood. But I mean, it's it. They're going to be subtle differences and in addition to that like you're saying lean like maybe there's a history to the instrument maybe it seems seen some shit like maybe there's you know it's he 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 people we like we as, as human beings ascribe all these characteristics and meaning to inanimate objects right so that does make sense one of the only damn realistic things in this episode <laughs> At Starlight Mansion, Synergy tells the hologram she's uplinked to the IRS database in Washington and prints a copy of the whereabouts of the rest of the Tucker Band Quartet. That is some seriously impressive Look, hacking there, Synergy. This this is some science fiction because how is Synergy even 
there's no internet. There, is there's there? no internet. <laughs> there's no internet. So even if there is some sort of well, DARPA like hardwired like... connection in the house, right? How is she connected to the? Oh my lord! This is why she can't be fall into the hands of wrong people. This is why Emmett Bennett was probably murdered by our <laughs> government. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Synergy can do some stuff that you're like, what? How? She's connected to what? Yeah, uh, it, it, it was Justin just kind of looked at me and he was like, so she's committing like six felonies like right now. I was like, yeah. And OK. Yeah. Did the <laughs> NSA exist in the 80s? Was that a thing? The NSA, I don't know, I don't know that they did, but I'm pretty sure that anything to do with getting records from the IRS without, you know. That's that's <laughs> highly illegal. Yeah. Highly illegal. Of course the NSA existed in the 80s. It's just that nobody was acknowledging that they existed. Right. You know, NSA, people used to say, used to say, stood for no such agency. Mm. There was definitely some COINTELPRO stuff going on. Well, the band decides to split up to cover more ground. Shayna will go to Duke's Landing to find Ace O'Toole, the saxophone player. Aja g- will go to Seattle to find Joey London, the drummer. Kimber will go to Houston, Texas to find Dave Wilson, the bass player. Suddenly, the phone rings and Bonnie brings the phone to Jerrica. When Jerrica answers, she's greeted with some unpleasant news. Tucker has informed Jerrica that someone has stolen his horn. Jerrica tells Shayna, Aja, and Kimber to round up the rest of the band members while Jerrica and Rhea try to find the min- missing instrument. And I'm glad they stuck in oh, Rhea at the last second mm-hmm. because when this scene was actually unfolding, I'm like, where the heck is, she- is Rhea? Like, is she not going to help the band? She was looking at a map of the United States and going, how are we going to pull this off? Okay. Yeah, I was like... <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here. I'm like, okay, you have less than 24 hours, and one of you is going to go to Seattle, and one of you is going to go to Houston. And I'm like, on a Concord, uh, like huh. maybe. And then right. from 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 LA, I guess apparently it, it's LA. And and I was like, you have less than 24 hours, and then Jerrica's like, and we have 16 hours, and I just, it's like what? <laughs> I right. doubled over laughing. How so? So they had to fly to apparently Chicago to go meet with Tabs Tucker, right? And then they flew back to, you know, fake San Angeles to come to the mansion, but didn't bring Tabs Tucker with them. And so then they get a call and he's like, oh, my instrument's been sold. And then they had to fly back to Chicago and then fly back to fake San Angeles and then fly back to Chicago and fly back again. Why do you say it's fake or San, why do you say it's San Angeles? That's they, they, well, that's just, well, that's what we've been uh, calling it, but but it is yeah. L.A. because they, they do actually did, say Los Angeles. We, we established that yeah. because they're like a bus ride away from right. Venice. But I'm just saying, like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. No. Like once again, things are happening for the plot, but it's really weird on this show how they really do just like ignore geography, like flagrantly. Mm-hmm ignore geography and they're like yeah we just flew to chicago and we flew back and we flew to chicago and we flew back and you're flying to houston we fly back like, no well even no. like like you said tempest in, in previous episodes you know when when they've had episodes of events that have been contained within the the town like of los angeles where they live but it's always like in the show it always seems like five feet wide and you you joke about that all the time right so it's like 
they are they're ignoring and totally overlooking all these things that just make it everything just seem so unrealistic as far mm-hmm. as the geography it's- is concerned. And especially since when Taps Tucker started this episode, he was live in Lindsay's studio, which is in L.A. Why did they have to fly to Chicago to find him? Uh, That's a good question. How how much time has actually passed since the Lindsay appearance? Like Like it's the next day. So he flew back home. Right. they They didn't put him up in a hotel, so he had to fly home because he's... You know, music in the '40s didn't pay mm-hmm. what it paid in the '80s. So Actually, he had no, to this go is a good question. Right Unless I overlook something, why wouldn't the holograms just rush to the station? Right, like that's the thing. I yeah, I don't understand. My brain hurts. Why they can't made think about this, this anymore? Geography. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I should really drink before this show starts. No. <laughs> It, it won't make any more sense. It'll be yeah, more you're confusing right. it'll than dull, it already it'll is. It'll the pain, Aline. I don't know. I don't know, because uh, then you're going to be like putting together the drunken be, puzzle I'll pieces. Pr- you know what? I'll probably just get more sad. Eric Raymond enlists Tech Rat to hack into the airline to get the flight destinations for Gem on the holograms. And it's actually it's been a while bodies. since we've seen Tech Rat, hasn't it? Mmm. No, it hasn't been that no. long. Yeah, we just saw him a couple episodes Did ago. We? I think I think it was the episode that you missed, Alex, that Tempest and I recorded together. Oh, okay. All right. Well, I know how everyone gets excited when Tech Rat makes an appearance. So, yay, Tech Rat. Yeah, I was like, go, Tech Rat. Commit more felonies in this episode. That's really cool. Right? Set an example the for them kids. Mm-hmm. Well, since it wasn't enough to just steal Tucker's horn, the misfits need to follow the holograms to try and stop them from rounding up the rest of Tucker's bandmates. Stormer follows Aja to Seattle and watches Aja closely as she drops by Joey London's home. London happily accepts Aja's offer to play with the quartet again as he's up to his ears in debt. Stormer sabotages Aja's car by stealing a component from the engine bay. Before Aja and London can leave the apartment, a pair of loan sharks looking to collect on money that's owed stop them in their tracks. And Aja and London make a run for it, but they find Aja's tampered car, with the, of course with the hood up, and continue running away from the thugs. They head underground, hoping to lose them in the underground city. But I'm just going to point out something. This is a kid's show. And Aja is Lone being sharks. chased by two guys who are about to bust her kneecaps. Right. I mean... Yeah. Well, this, this show is always, I think, uh, it's a progressive show for the time. They've, uh, <laughs> progressive. <laughs> they, 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 push, they push the envelope, like people like to say. It's I guess so. The two black people have to end up together, but... But... Oh my god! I just realized, guys. I just realized so far this show has featured a white band uh, picking and beating on a old black jazz player and loan sharks mm-hmm. that are about to break a guy's shins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this I is said, this such is, an in, such an inspirational children's this show. Episode is very interesting, and also I'm like, all right. I mean, it's some real world situations right here. Everything got real pretty quick. <laughs> It's just, he's like, I shouldn't have borrowed that money from a loan shark. And I'm like, oh, God. 
It's like you think. And I I loved that they made it very apparent that that car had been tampered with. So they didn't get in and try to start it. It was just like, oh, well, F this. We've got to run away. Yeah. Well, I mean, if they entered that car, I mean, they would have died. Because those two loan sharks would have just like bashed the windshield in. Mm -hmm. And then dragged them out of the car, kicking and screaming. We can't have that. It's a kid's show. No. (laughs) It's like the end. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it looks like Aja and London are trapped. We cut to Duke's landing for a moment where Shayna makes her proposal to Ace O'Toole to make another record with the Taps Tuckered band. Unlike Joey London, O'Toole is perfectly happy with how his business is running. He even still plays the drums on Saturday nights, so the last thing he wishes to do is go back to Los Angeles. Roxy and Jetta eavesdrop on the conversation and overhear O'Toole offer to Shayna a free ride on his cruise ship. Later on Ace O'Toole's cruise ship, we see Shayna fishing. O'Toole looks at Shayna and tells her that she probably went along for the ride because she still thinks there's a chance he'll change his mind and go back with her to Los Angeles. Shayna concedes, and she actually manages to catch a fish, and of course, O'Toole tells her to bring it in. A storm begins to brew on the horizon. O'Toole decides to turn the ship around before the ship gets caught in it, but the engine gives out. It looks like the ship has been tampered with, as the fuel reading shows the tank is empty. But he knows for a fact he filled the tank up earlier that morning. And Shada notices a trail of gas in the water from the leaking tank. How is it they just noticed this? They were just on the side of that boat fishing. Yeah, like how long has this thing been leaking gas? Oh my God. Yeah, terrible. Not very observant, gotta say. Mm-hmm. But she's too busy fishing. Yep, she's I not was paying attention. Say, that's, it's a, it's a, an intense fast-moving thing when you're out there fishing, yeah. O'Toole attempts to call the Coast Guard for help, but the radio has also been cut. Roxy and Jetta are confident that there's no way he could make it back to Los Angeles, even if he decided to change his mind. Well, it's a good thing they, they thought of everything, haven't they? In Houston, Kimber meets with Dave Wilson, who appears to not be enjoying his retirement uh, all that much as a custodian at a stadium. And who can blame him? Wilson agrees to go back to Los Angeles with Kimber, but when they attempt to leave, all of the doors have been locked. No thanks to Techrat and Pizzazz. See, and- this is an indictment of the Houston Astrodome, I feel. <laughs> I feel is like that where this is? This, well, yeah, they're I guess in it's Houston and they're be. in a giant stadium. It has to be the Astrodome. And they're like, look how easy it is for someone to terrorize people inside the Astrodome even when this horrible football team isn't playing. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like that's what this whole section of the, the show is about, is an indictment of mm-hmm. the Astrodome as a concept. Well, we get a Misfits awesome. music video called Trapped. What did you think of the song and the video? I personally really like this song. This is definitely a better Misfits song than we've had in a while, I think. The video was weird. Am I too critical of the videos? No. You're allowed to be as critical as you would like to be. I just, I don't know. I feel like I'm always like, the video is weird. But it was like, 
pizzazz. I, I guess it's no weirder than the rest of them. I, I guess I'm mostly confused by the way the the laser light show system worked. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I mean, because that was, the Astrodome is horrible. I was going to say, like, when when does when did the Astrodome get a laser light show? Well, they always have to have it. Look, football games are very technical, and yes. you have to have a way to like give children seizures, mm-hmm. um, especially during halftime when like people come out and they dance and whatever. I mean, just look at what happened when Beyonce came to the Super Bowl like there were all kinds of fireworks involved if it had been nighttime there would have been a laser light show so yeah that's what that's about but in terms of the V I mean it's okay what I what I love was at first it was like pizzazz is in the control room singing a song to you okay and then all the misfits are there for some reason okay but what I do love about this song is of course the excellent use of the saxophone Yes. Uh, finally, Jetta. we get to have Jetta like wailing away on that saxophone mm-hmm. like we were promised many, many episodes ago, and we haven't seen that much of. So it's really great that we get some Jetta sax action. Yeah, it was it, it was definitely great. And I, I'm wondering if in the writer's room, they're like, oh, you know, we haven't really featured Jetta all that much, even though we've, you know, she's been around now for a while in season two. So that's, that was definitely a good thing. Yeah. But it was a catchy yeah, song. Was nice. I thought it was a catchy song. And unlike some of the previous Misfit song, I, I personally didn't think it was too repetitive. It had a good hook to it. So, Well, we switch gears a little bit because we get to see Shayna and Ace O'Toole again, and they're still caught in the storm. O'Toole actually ends up falling off the boat into the water, and Shayna bravely goes after him to save his life. Uh I thought that was this was a little risky. I mean, she does use the life preserver, but I mean, did you see those waves? And she manages to just like effortlessly swim back to the boat without an issue. That's because she's been taking swimming lessons from Kimber. She must have incredible upper body strength. Well, yeah. I mean, she has to hold that guitar. Right. Yeah. Guitar I'm just saying. Very true. Good, good yeah. strong forearms. Back in Seattle... Stormer is following the loan sharks as well as Aja and Joey London. When Stormer realizes the loan sharks are playing for keeps, she decides to create a diversion to allow them to escape and she throws a brick into a window. Aja and O'Toole flag a cab and head straight for the airport. Stormer knows that Pizzazz and the rest of the misfits aren't going to be happy about the two of them escaping, but she doesn't care. Stormer did the right thing here. Well, that's just great. I mean, yay, the Stormer did do the right thing and save them from loan sharks, but it's kind of like, and then Stormer does the right thing. That's unexpected. <laughs> I know. It's just thinking, good for her, and then realized how messed up that was. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Well, Stormer says, I mean, totally in line with with what her character is about, but she sa- she actually says... Uh, Aja and the old guy are going to get hurt. I don't want that. So she has, you know, she's not totally, uh, no, she doesn't, I mean, obviously she follows the the rest of the misfits and kind of just, just does what she's told. And I'm not excusing her behavior whatsoever, but she does have somewhat of a conscience. So that's that's a good thing for whatever it's worth. In Houston, Kimber and Wilson need to find a way of escaping. 
Laser lights are going off, which are completely distracting, but Wilson remembers that he can cut the power by going to the fuse box, so he does. Techrat seems surprised when the power goes out, and Kimber and Wilson manage to make it out of the stadium. Jem and Rhea meet with Taps Tucker, who is beside himself about the stolen horn and has no idea who would want to steal it. Jem has a suspicion, so she calls Mark Rockwell and asks who made the other jazz deal. When Rockwell explains that Eric Raymond made the other deal, Jem immediately realizes what's happened. Raymond and the Misfits are responsible for stealing Tucker's horn. After explaining to Tucker what's transpired, Rhea asks how they're going to get his horn back, but Jem thinks she has an idea that just might work. Get back on the Concord and fly back to L.A. This all would have just made so much more sense if just Taps Tucker lived like in, you know, in the ghettos of Los Angeles. Like, like if he lived in Compton. Mm-hmm. Not that mm-hmm. I'm saying that Compton is a ghetto, but that's where I feel like if this show was going to be like he lives in the L.A. area, they mm-hmm. would put him in Compton. Do you think just by having that one character be closer to where the holograms are just would make it this whole th- thing a little more realistic as far as the travel time in- is concerned? Yes. Yes. Fair enough. I don't understand why they all had to go back to L.A. Just Well, that's where the San recording Angeles. studio is. <laughs> so? Phone call. Yeah, he's in. Hooray. Right. Yeah, they right, could like have they, done that. Yeah, because like at one point the, the Mark dude does say he's like, you gotta get them here. Well, why do they need to be there? Like Yeah, it's weird. We just said we're putting this thing together, and he's like, Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, mm, mm. Just mm-hmm. the plot. And Misfits Music, Gem and Rhea use Synergy's holographic projection to disguise themselves as exterminators. They barge into Eric Raymond's office, but he claims that there are no bugs to exterminate. Jem tells Eric they plan on fumigating the room and that that he should leave. While reluctant, Eric decides to comply. Jem and Rhea begin searching the office for the stolen horn, going through closets and desk drawers. They finally discover the horn in a cabinet and attempt to put it in their bag, but Eric walks in and catches them in the act, threatening to call the police for stealing it. Jem asks Synergy to create a hologram of the horn in the cabinet so as to confuse and divert Eric's attention to allow them to escape. It no. works, and they no. leave. No. Yeah, Let me tell okay. you why it didn't work. Yep. <laughs> because Go, Tempest, she, was like, she was like, Synergy! Create a hologram. Yeah, like right in front of standing, <laughs> like He's like right there. Two feet away. <laughs> He's right like, there. This, this is worse than that book episode where Ash, or not Ashley, but <laughs> that Molly kept whispering yeah. into her, her shirt. Mm-hmm. Eric, what's the answer? In my loudest whisper voice. Yeah, Eric should have really been like, who are you talking to? Yeah, what? and for... Um, for like something that's supposed to be pretty surreptitious and not discovered, that's a pretty discoverable thing. Oh, look, it's in your cabinet. We're going to run away. Oh, look, it's gone. Like, yeah. I don't, I was like, why did Synergy not create like a large rat that crawled across the floor? And then they could have been like, oh my gosh, we need to get other tools. 
you know, or or something. And then they run out. Like, why are you? Well, the hologram ends up uh, dissipating and Eric realizes he's being duped. So he chases after Jem and Rhea down the corridor, not realizing that the two of them are disguised as holographic plants. Jeez. I I don't even know what to say about that. Uh, yeah. It makes me think of the guy in San Francisco. Like, okay. I'm just saying the guy in San Francisco. So there used to be a man, a homeless man who lived in San Francisco. And um, so if you walk along the the pier you know where all the docks for the ships are mm-hmm. um he used to hide behind things with um palm tree fronds hmm. and you know it's like very obvious that it was a guy standing back there and or sitting or crouching or whatever and then he would like jump out at people and just like laugh and laugh and laugh and uh i mean he was it was completely harmless he was having fun and you know i think most people just kind of looked at him Mm-hmm. But that just kind of reminds me of that, like yeah. the the guy who just jumped out at people from behind two pineapple or uh, pineapple tree. What am I thinking? Palm tree fronds. Jem and Rhea managed to get back to Tucker and present the horn to him. Wilson, Sick. London and Tucker are reunited, but O'Toole and Shayna are missing. Wait, are they yeah. all in Chicago? That's a good question. I oh have God. no idea where the hell they are. I think that they're all in Chicago. This show, this show. <laughs> Nobody worked out all the logistical problems with this because they're like, it's a show for kids who are advertising dolls. It's, la- it's oh lazy. Oh my God. It's lazy because they're like, the kids Kids won't figure this out. Not, not, I mean, how dare they not anticipate that people 30 years from the making of that show would be watching this and picking it apart on a podcast. Right? No. I mean, how right? dare they not have the foresight These people are monsters. They decide to leave and meet up with Mark Rockwell anyways because time's running out, of course, hoping that Shayna and O'Toole will make it on time. We cut to Shayna and O'Toole who are still stranded in the middle of the ocean. But fortunately for the two of them, O'Toole carries a flare gun and uses it to catch the attention of the Coast Guard who rescue them and bring them back to shore. And O'Toole is very grateful and thankful to Shayna for saving his life earlier. And she once again asks him if he'd consider rejoining the rest of his old bandmates in Los Angeles for a final album. And he agrees. Emotional blackmail. Emotional blackmail indeed. At Mark Rockwell's office, Eric Raymond looks pleased that the Taps Tucker band hasn't made it to the meeting in time. So his jazz deal by default should go through. Eric threatens Mark to sign the contract now or else he'll take the jazz classic tapes elsewhere. Mark grabs the pen from Eric and begins signing the contract. But before he can finish signing it, Gem and the Holograms burst through the door with Taps Tucker, Dave Wilson, and Joey London. Mark mentions that someone is missing. But Ace O'Toole and Shayna show up conveniently, I might add, at the very last second, just in time to perform for Rockwell. And of course, we get the final video in this episode called Jazz Has. I don't really like this song. But maybe I'm alone. Gem is scatting, and it's not okay. It's Mm -hmm. not great. Right. 
So there are a few things about what's going on here at the end of the episode that are even more confusing than all the geographical nonsense that has gone on thus far. To start, the the jazz dude wants to hear the Taps Tucker band. Why is Jem involved? Yeah, yeah. Why, why is she there? Like, she adds nothing to it except some white girl scatting. And, and I'm yeah. sorry, Samantha Newark, but no. Or no, Britta Phillips. Sorry, Britta Phillips, but no. And I know they made you do it, so it's not your fault, but no. Yeah, so there's that. Um, then, beyond that, where did all these instruments come from? <laughs> like, they just appear out of nowhere. And, and may I also point out, that office that they were just in was not that big because we've seen the whole office, but somehow they end up on a stage and there's a piano, a bass, a drum set. <laughs> like, all this stuff just appears. And you're like, um, where did, what? What is happening? It's in the next room. Just, oh, so just can, in case. Well, it's a record right. label, right? They have instruments. Okay, but when we get to the end of Jazz Has and Jem is like, Jazz Has, and you're like, oh God, please let it be over. Then it fades to black and then it fades up on that Mark Rockwell dude. And he's like, that was great. Put that on the album. I'm like, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, isn't this not about the Taps Tugger band? This is not about Jim and the Holograms. Right. And- but but also, did did they travel to another room, listen to that song, <laughs> travel back to the office, sit exactly where he was sitting before and go, that was great. Put that on the album. Like, yes. none of this makes any That's sense. That's exactly what happened, Tempest. Uh- that's exactly what happened. Yeah. <laughs> this show. This show. Uh, well, after the performance, Rockwell says he'll accept Jem's offer to record a new album with the Taps Tucker Quartet, so long as Jazz Has makes it onto the album. Which, mm. uh, terrible choice. Eric is fuming at this point and tells Rockwell he can't back out of the deal because he already signed it. But it turns out that Rockwell never finished his signature, so the deal is null. Eric has no recourse at this point other than to yell at Mark and claim that the album will never sell because the quartet are has-beens. Mm-hmm. Rockwell tells Eric goodbye and then he storms out of the office. Eric needs to learn better intimidation tactics. Like He really needs to go back home and be like, oh, Dad, absolutely. teach me how to intimidate people. Is there like a, a, a course he can An take for that? e-book or something. Can you go back to the Raymond crime family and just take a a, how to be an intimidating ass for, you know, I don't know, like a five day course or something? Yeah. I mean, he's got the ass part down. It's just the intimidation that really needs some honing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's got to polish that up. Oh, something else I forgot to mention. So not only um, do we not know where all the instruments and stuff came from for Jazz Has, who wrote that song and in what time did they do it and how did they rehearse it? I mean, well, I know Tempest, they're professionals. It, it, I mean, Gemma's just scatting, right? So it's just improvisation. You know what? Actually, I don't have anything against uh, the scatting vocal style. The problem is as good of a singer as Britta Phillips is, it's it seems shoehorned in because... Her voice, I wouldn't say she has the right voice for it. Right. Exactly right. It's her voice is, I was trying to think of a way to to put it like, like Ella Fitzgerald had yeah. a voice, yeah. you know, and it, it, it had presence and depth yeah. and nuance and absolutely and 
Breta has a great voice. I'm not saying that her voice is bad, but right. it's a different kind of yeah, voice. It lends itself better to pop rock rather right. than and, jazz. Yeah. And I think I think to scat effectively, you've got to have like a deep, not a yeah. deep voice, but a, a voice with depth and resonance that's not, it's just right. not quite suited. Like not every voice is suited to every song. What about the scat man? <laughs> the short-lived scat man. No, let's not even go there. But, uh, you know, all the rest of the, the holograms uh, do provide backup vocals. So how come, I mean, maybe there would be another candidate in the band that would have been better at doing the scat, the whole scatting thing. Like, I don't know, maybe Shayna would have been up to the task. No, not really. Mm. All of them have a voice for pop. None of yeah, them that's has true. a voice I mean, they are, you're right. They are a pop rock things. band. So it doesn't, yeah, it just, it just doesn't fit. Well, anyway... Taps is going to totally dedicate that album to them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And speaking of that, this episode wraps with Ace O'Toole thanking Shayna for convincing him to rejoin the Taps Tucker band, saying that the band is going to be better than ever. And Taps tells Jem that they're going to dedicate the new album to the holograms. So is she really going to be on this album? I'm confused. Yeah, she. uh, of course. Well, I guess that one song... She'll it's make just an the appearance. one song. Right. I'm still mad though because I'm like I was waiting to hear the Taps Tucker band because when Taps Tucker was playing the trumpet earlier in the episode, that was really great. I was like, "Ooh, that was nice." But we had, you know, it is already weird for an episode to have two Misfit songs and only one Gem song. So I guess we couldn't have left Gem out completely, but it just seems so unnecessary. Well, that's all the time we have this week, folks. Is there a cowboy episode next? You got me, partner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! I liked it. I I need to lie down after that. (laughs) Well, you've been listening to the Gemcast. I'm here with Aline Sims as always, and you can find Aline on Twitter at a l e n n. Her lovely podcast on Relay FM forward slash l t o e. That is less than or equal, and everyone should go and subscribe. Shame on you if you haven't subscribed yet. And how actually, you know what? Maybe we should give a refresher to people. How would you best describe your show, Aline? Well, you listen. How would you describe my show, Alex? I would describe your show <laughs> as a interview format show where you talk to geeky people about their geeky troubles or things troubles. they're interested in. Oh, troubles. Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's pretty much my elevator pitch. It's I get to talk to geeky people about the things that they love. Um, the catch is that these people are generally in some way marginalized in the thing that yeah. they love. So yeah, it means no men are allowed. No men are allowed. Yeah, I've had zero, zero mm-hmm. people who are men on my show. Yeah. Zero. Which, that's a lie. Um, but yeah, generally... Um, you know, we've talked about topics from male cheerleaders have been on to we've had episodes about depression and ADHD um, uh, and then just people coming and talking about the things that they they love or, or what they're interested in. Tempest came and talked about writing and yeah. her kind of free form um, bachelor's degree. And, and I took a lot away from that. So it's just kind of a place where I learn a lot of things and I let other people mm-hmm. listen as I learn basically Great. yeah I mean you have a you certainly have a diverse uh, a, a diverse cast of, of people that 
that are on the show. I mean, you've, like you said, yeah, people with, with different backgrounds and interests. And I, you know, I've heard discussions about video games and discussions about writing and all and technology and all that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff. So it really is like sort of a, like just a melting pot of everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there, is there any topic exactly geekery? Is there any topic that is off limits or are you, are you open to anything? That's a really interesting question. I have not been approached with a potential guest or potential topic that I've been like, yeah, that doesn't qualify. Um, I think that so many things, um, you know, Will Wheaton, Will Wheaton is problematic, I think, in a lot of ways, um, which is a discussion for another time. But one thing that's interesting, (laughs) I'll talk to you offline about that. One thing that he says is that um, being a nerd or being a geek is not about what you love it's about the way you love it and i think that there's so much truth to that so um yeah pretty much pretty much everything is um is something that you can be geeky about if you're passionate about it and i think that's a pretty cool definition of geekery i would tend to agree and people can also find your writing at aleanmean.com as well. And of course, your your participation in the fantastic app Camp for Girls project. And are you still working on that? Yeah, we're um we've got meetings coming up this weekend mm-hmm. and um You guys yeah, have an iOS app as well, too. There is there are actually two. So if you're on uh, if you have an iPad or an iPod touch or an iPhone, um you can look for the quiz compendium. Um, and there are two of them. So it's basically a compilation of um, the the apps that the kids built during their week of app camp. So um, and they're fun. They're just little quiz quiz apps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, o- always a good cause. And I, I, I sincerely hope more people continue to support that. It's pretty exciting. I think I think we're going to see cool things coming. And Kate Tempest Bradford, your writing and every, all your links to your social media stuff is at ktempestbradford.com. It's kind of a portal into all the stuff that you do, your writing and your YouTube channel where you do the the, uh, the Tempest Challenge as well. And uh, people can find you on Twitter at Tiny Tempest. Is there anything uh, new going on in your world that you uh, you want to make mention of? Well... There's my new podcast called The Right Gear, and that's W-R-I-T-E. And it's a show where I talk about the analog and digital tools that writers use to write. It's a combination of interviews with writers talking about their writing tools and me talking about uh, different pieces of technology and best ways to use them. Uh, coming, We just did an episode on how to back up your writing because everybody should back up their writing. Go now back your stuff Mm -hmm. up and listen to the episode and then back it up again um and this uh coming up we're going to talk about um blocking distractions which is uh everybody needs to block distractions i think when they're working and we're gonna talk about fountain pens and laptops and just all sorts of cool stuff Hmm. i'm sorry what did you say i was just checking twitter stop checking twitter alex it's full of no that was a joke that was that was a I know. That, that was a poke at the distraction thing. That you, you, you and your Twitter. I, I'm joking. My phone was locked and I was give, devoting my full attention to you. 
But that, yeah, that's great about your podcast. So you can uh, find the right gear on iTunes. You can find it in your favorite podcast player of choice by just searching for the right gear. And you can also now find it on the Google Play podcast store. And I wonder how that how popular that is. I don't know anyone that subscribes or uses Google Play for podcasts now, but I'm sure uh, if not a lot now, I'm sure that will become a big deal in the future. Or go directly to the website, hologramradio.org forward slash the right gear to check out the directory of all the current episodes. We're at episode four, and I believe episode five is going out tomorrow. We release on Thursdays. I should know that. <laughs> yes, episode five releases on thir- uh, tomorrow, which will be yeah, Thursday. It's Alex's job to do these things. It is my job. Oh, yes, that's right. Thank you for reminding me. And my writing is on ZeroDistraction.com. I am Zero Distraction on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else as well. And you can follow this show on Twitter at Gem Podcast. We're at Gem Podcast on Facebook as well. We have a Instagram account now, uh, which is Hologram Radio Shows. And we also have a Patreon page, which is one of the... which is one of the single best ways that you can support this show and the network as a whole, you can go to patreon.com forward slash hologram radio and uh, throw a couple bucks our way. We already have three donors at this point, which is, which is wonderful. So we're off to a good start, but we absolutely need your support as the listener. So please tell other people about the show. If you have other fan, fan gem fans, tell them about the show. If you, uh, peruse the GemCon forums. Let other people know that we actually exist. And uh, you can find us on iTunes as well. Drop us a, a comment or a rating. That is actually one of the best ways that other people that don't know about us can actually find us. And uh, you can also reach us for feedback at gemcast at hologramradio.org. That's gemcast at hologramradio.org. And all three of us get those emails if you'd like to tell us something that's been grading you or something that you just really like that you want to share with us. Please go ahead and do that. And you can also support us by going to hologramradio.org forward slash sponsors. Everybody likes shopping at Amazon. We have Amazon links for Amazon UK, USA, and Canada. And since there's absolutely no extra work needed on your part, other than just clicking on the link, why don't you do that? It'll send us a couple bucks uh, every time you make a purchase. So that's it for this week. And next week, we are going to be talking about dance time. Does anybody remember this episode? Oh, yeah. I mm-hmm. I really like this episode. Yeah. Um, well, aspects of it anyway. Right. And it's a dance episode. so Which dance. is not a character that we really see all that often. Well, I mean, More she's dance, not part please. of the holograms, yes. but she does work at the uh, the Starlight Mansion. No, she doesn't. Mm-hmm. She doesn't? has her own runaway house. I right. thought, oh, okay, I totally forgot about that. No, I remember yeah, I that's what about. that whole benefit was. Right. And hands, yes, and it was thank you for beautiful. reminding me about that. Friend of strangers. This show is obsessed with contests. This next episode is a contest episode. Yep. This deadlines, ridiculous deadlines, deadlines and, contests. and I, contests. I feel like we should we could make an entire Tumblr called Ridiculous Deadlines and Contests <laughs> and just feature only content from... All the times when they have to meet a ridiculous deadline or are involved in a contest. It's probably true. Uh, Let's put a button on this episode. Show's over, Synergy.